This is Dina Weiss for Hadar on Parashat Shemini. Free as a fish. The beginning of Parashat Shemini concludes the Torah's outlining of the laws of the regular sacrifices, the korbanot. The Torah then moves on to the special sacrifices of the dedication of the Mishkan and then the tragic death of Nadav and Avihu, our own sons, who overstepped their bounds amidst all of the excitement. At the conclusion of the parasha, animals reappear. As the Torah details all of the different types of animals which are kosher and may be eaten, mammals, fish, and fowl. This time, however, the animals are not being brought as korbanot, but are being eaten in a non-sacred context. One would expect an overlap between the different classes of animals and the candidates for sacrifices. Yet, though there are many mammals which are sacrificed and also a number of birds, there are no fish included in any of the sacrifices, though there are many kosher fish. Why is it that fish may be eaten by God's people, but are inappropriate for God's table, the altar? Understanding what fish represent will allow us to understand why fish have been excluded from the sacrificial menu. When we look a bit more closely into what does and does not qualify as a korban, we will see more clearly what sacrifices represent and what korbanot are designed to accomplish. Sacrifice on the part of humans was inaugurated by Adam and Chava's two sons, Cain and Hevel. Their choice of what to bring to God gives us our first clue as to what makes something sacrifice eligible and why fish might be excluded. Adam knew his wife Chava. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, I created a man with God. She gave birth again to his brother Hevel. Hevel was a shepherd and Cain was a worker of the land. Some days passed and Cain brought a gift to God from the fruits of the land. As for Hevel, he also brought from his firstborn sheep and their fatty parts. And God accepted Hevel and his gift. Cain and Hevel each brought sacrificial gifts from the accepted categories of property that can be offered as korbanot. Cain brings agricultural gifts, which continue to be brought on the altar, most often as bread, incense, or oil. Hevel brings from the best of his flocks, a tradition that is carried on as well. It is notable that each of these gifts comes from the respective property of each brother. They bring what is available to them, from the lands that they tend or the sheep that they herd. But fish do not come into human hands in these ways. There are no fish fields from which to pluck a salmon or trout. Fish are not readily accessible. One has to go to a stream or a pond to wait for them, hoping to entice and catch them with one's net or hook. However, the fish are not excluded because they are difficult for humans to obtain. We know that humans can successfully and fairly reliably catch fish. They are excluded because fish are not owned when they are alive. They are not available to be harvested or slaughtered. One cannot go to a stream and dedicate a certain fish to God and plan to bring that fish to the temple. 
A person may catch a fish, but she can't be certain that the fish she caught is in fact the fish that she designated. This is not a mere technical problem of not being able to pre-designate fish as korbanot. It reflects what might be called the character of fish, or at the very least, what fish represent. By their essence, fish are not owned. They are free. They therefore can feel invulnerable and are not subject to the laws of threat and misfortune that affect other inhabitants of nature. The invulnerability of fish is most pronounced in the next story of sacrifice that we have in the Torah, the tale of Noah and the flood. God tells Noah to collect all of the animals in order to save them on the ark. From all of the pure animals you shall take seven, man and wife, and from the impure animals you shall take two, man and wife. You should also take from the birds of heaven seven and seven, male and female, to seed life on the face of the land. For in seven more days I will rain onto the land for forty days and forty nights, and I will erase from the face of the earth all of the existence that I have made. God does not tell Noah to make sure to save the fish, because, of course, the fish are already safe, since they are not on the face of the earth. The flood that threatens to destroy all categories of life, animals and humans, birds and vegetation, has no effect on the fish whatsoever. They continue to swim without a care in the world as the rest of the earth disintegrates around them. And tellingly, when Noah emerges from the ark, he engages with the two sacrificial categories that Hevel and Cain introduced. He sacrifices animals and birds, and he plants a vineyard. In chapter 8 it says, Noah built an altar for God. He took from all of the pure animals and from all of the pure birds, and he burnt offerings on the altar. And in chapter 9 it says, Noah began as a man of the earth, and he planted a vineyard. Upon emerging from the ark, Noah brings sacrifices from the animals that he has, the kosher birds and mammals he was instructed to save. However, he does not interact with the fish at all. They are not considered relevant to the story. Their fates are separate from the fate of everyone and everything else. They do not feel gratitude for being saved. They did not experience the flood in the same way that the inhabitants of the ark did. The invulnerability of fish is emphasized in rabbinic literature by the notion that they are immune to the effects of the evil eye. In Masechet Brachot, Rabbi Yochanan says that he can safely flaunt his beauty with no concern about the evil eye because he is immune to its effects. And he attributes this immunity to his being a descendant of Yosef. The Talmud offers two explanations for why this is, and the second attributes it to Yaakov's blessing that Yosef's children are like fish. Rabbi Yosi Rabbi Hanina Amar Mehacha, Vidgu Larov Bekarav Haaretz, 
מה דגים שבים, מים מכסין עליהם, ואין עין הרע שולטת בהם, אף זרעו של יוסף, אין עין הרע שולטת בהם. רבי יוסי, סנא רבי חנינא, said that this protection is known about from here. They will multiply like fish inside of the land. Just as fish in the sea are covered by water, and the evil eye has no power over them, so too regarding the descendants of Yosef, the evil eye has no power over them. While the plain sense of the verse is that to be like fish is to be numerous, Rabbi Yossi, son of Rabbi Hanina, understands that what it means to be like fish is to be protected from all of the dangers that exist on land. This is reflected in a story told of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is asked why he continues to teach Torah publicly, despite the fact that the Romans have threatened to kill anyone who does so. Rabbi Akiva replies by likening himself to the fish in this fable. Amar lo emsho lecha mashal, lemaha davar domeh, leshu'al, shahaya mahalich agav hanahar, vera'a dagim shahayu mitkabtim mimakom lemakom. Amar lahem, mipnei ma'atem borchim? Amru lo mipnei rishatot, shemevi'in alinu b'nei adam. Amar lahem, ritzon cham shatalu leyabasha, v'nador ani v'atem, kashem shadaru avotai em avotechem? אמרו לו, אתה שאומרים עליך פיקח שבחיות? לא פיקח אתה, אלא טיפש אתה. ומה במקום חיותנו אנו מתיירים? במקום מיטתנו על אחת כמה וכמה. אף אנחנו, עכשיו שאנו יושבים ועוסקים בתורה שכתוב בה, כי הוא חייך באורך ימיך, כך, אם אנו הולכים ומבטלים ממנה על אחת כמה וכמה. Rabbi Akiva said to him, I will construct a parable for you. To what is this similar? To a fox who was walking on the bank of the river, and he saw fish gathering and moving from place to place. He said to them, Why are you fleeing? They said to him, Because of the nets that human beings bring upon us. He said to them, Do you want to come onto the dry land? And we will live together like my ancestors lived with yours. They said to him, You are the one who they call the cleverest of animals? You're not clever. You're an idiot. If in the place of our life we are afraid, how much more so will we be afraid in the place of our death? So too we, now that we are sitting and engaging with the Torah about which it says it is your life and the length of your days, it is the case that we are afraid. If we go and desist from it, won't it be even more so? Although in Rabbi Akiva's telling, The fish are afraid of the nets and are trying to avoid human beings. They are still an organism that represents having somewhere that is relatively safe to be. Having somewhere they feel that even if their survival is not guaranteed, it is likely they can keep on swimming and avoid the nets. An animal who lives in a pen or in a barn does not have the luxury to keep moving and successfully run away. The image of the fish being able to escape is echoed in the story of the prophet Yonah. At the beginning of the book of Yonah, all Yonah wants to do is run away and escape his responsibility as God's prophet and messenger. The imagery of his then being swallowed by a large fish is quite apt. Yonah is consumed by his desire to flee, and then he is literally consumed by the organism that most represents freedom and invulnerability. The ability to run away and avoid the net. Just as the fish in Rabbi Akiva's stories represent the Jews, 
and Yonah's big fish represents Yonah himself, so too everything that we sacrifice is supposed to substitute for and therefore reflect the person who brings the sacrifice in some way. This is the perspective of Rabbi Yitzchak Aramba, author of the Akedat Yitzchak, who explains all of the different sacrifices and their components in terms of human attitudes. He explains that this is because human beings are not really supposed to be sacrificing animals, but actually sacrificing themselves. Omnam hakorban adam mikem korban ladonai. Velo amar adam mikem kiakriv vigomer. Ve amar sha'af shehiyah hakorban minha behima minha bakar uminatzon hakavanati yeshet akriva et korban chem haniskar kolomar hakravat atzmechem. Indeed, the principle of sacrifice is that a person should bring themselves to God. And the verse of a person who brings from among you a sacrifice to God is specific in saying, from among you a sacrifice, and not a person among you who brings a sacrifice. And it says that even if the sacrifice is from an animal, from cattle, or from sheep, the intention is that you should bring the sacrifice which was already mentioned, that is, the bringing of yourself. According to the Akedah Yitzchak, the presence of actual physical animals is incidental to the sacrificial process. The qualities that the animal represents are more critical than their bodies to a successful sacrifice. With this lens in mind, we need to return to what fish represent to understand why they would be considered unfit for korbanot. Just as we don't bring animals of prey, so too we don't bring fish. The carnivorous animals are disqualified because they represent violence and the thirst for blood. And the fish are disqualified because they represent invulnerability. Being invulnerable is incompatible with sacrifice for two reasons. The first is that sacrifices are often brought to atone for sins. The animals and birds which are brought come to facilitate a human being's stating that they acknowledge their responsibility. They understand that they have done something wrong and have come forward to admit it. A fish sliding its way through nets and past hooks, owned by no one and able to avoid most threats, does not signify the taking of responsibility and instead represents evading consequences and gestures to the ability to get away without being caught. The second reason is that korbanot function to cement the relationship between human beings and their creator. An animal which has been cared for and relies on its owner to provide for it, an animal which understands what it means to belong to someone else, is fitting for a sacrifice. Relationships are built and strengthened by the acts of caring for one another. A carefree fish doesn't have its needs provided for by humans. A fish does not represent the vulnerability required for deep and lasting relationship. A fish doesn't stay to care and be cared for. The fish is always swimming away. The absence of fish among the beings eligible for a korban is a subtle way for God to say that what he wants is a relationship built on belonging, responsibility, and vulnerability. Perhaps this explains how it could be that prayer can substitute for sacrifices in the wake of the temple's destruction. If God wants us 
to display dependence and to be emotionally transparent and exposed in sacrifice, how much more so can we and should we be vulnerable in prayer, a time when we express our needs and our desire to be closer to God? As the Akedah Yitzchak goes on to explain the connection between sacrifice and prayer, V'amar razal, Ezohi our rabbi said, What is service in the heart? That is prayer. That is why the verse about the Ola sacrifice is fitting, and the fire of the altar should burn in him. For words of prayer need heat, and fire emerges from the mouth of one who prays with total concentration, and coals burn from him. And the altar itself is the heart, and it goes up with the words. Prayer, like sacrifice, needs the warmth of relationship and the fire of desperation. It is incompatible with the fish's cool and slippery ways. Wishing you a Shabbat of warmth and belonging. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to our weekly Debray Torah. To see more from our archive, please visit hadar.org slash Torah. Thank you.